welcome back to What's Your Favorite Scary Movie? I'm Verona. I'm Sarah. And we are starting off the month of February with our horror romance episode. And what better way to start than with our favorite horror romance, Spiral. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but it is. Um, oh, we so should have saved it. I know. It's fine. Um, so we discuss horror comedies a lot on the pod because that's one of our favorite subgenres. But honestly, I think horror romance might be my favorite. I just haven't seen it done as well as the horror comedy or as frequently as a good horror comedy. But when it hits, it hits. It hits. Um, and I need more of them. I feel like it's hard to find a true horror romance that blends together both in like a perfect balance while still being strong in both departments and having a compelling story. Because there's a lot of times where like, I love a horror romance for the aesthetics. The story never fully sells me. Like, I'll get into more examples later. But for me, Crimson Peak is one of those where I think it is just such a stunning movie. Like, it has such a good concept. There's so much to it. But there's just something that falls flat just a little bit for me in that movie. I know that, like, everyone's like, oh, less is more. But I think that my personal beef that I had with Crimson Peak was it didn't quite push the sexiness enough and I feel like it should have because it had everything in place like the setting the characters the chemistry between the actors was incredible like the dialogue was very like sexy restrained like gothic romance but I feel like they were just trying a little too hard to be like as appropriate as possible it like reminded me of when you like see a book talk recommendation and it's someone being like this is a spicy romance and there's like maybe a hand job implied on page 300 of 450 it's just not quite like it's too it was too restrained it it was yeah. not giving less is more it was giving a little bit repressed and like listen we love repression as like an underlying theme especially in terms of like a horror romance and it could always be homosexual however this was not it just seemed repressed derogatory it was, it was just lacking for me but it is still such a stunning movie that it made me rate it four and a half stars anyways because i was like i want to live in this world i also would have loved more horror like the ghosts and shit that we got in that movie were so cool i wanted more I need to rewatch Crimson Peak now. I only watched it for the first time last year once, but I was like obsessed with it because I was like, this is such my movie, except for Tom Hiddleston being there. No offense to him. I'm sure he's a lovely man. I just can't stare at him after being on Tumblr for well over a decade where people push him because of Loki and shit. I don't know. That's a different topic for a different time. Sorry, Tom Hiddleston. I'm I'm sure you're great. You know, now that you say that, though, like, I'm thinking about it. I think that that man is, like, at his sexiest when he's, like, a little bit, like, scruffed up. Or, like, you know what I mean? Like, I think Loki was a much better look for him. Yeah, yeah. I can't take him seriously as, like, a sexy male lead. Um, To be fair, we are also both lesbians, so... <laughs> So I love horror romance because like horror comedies, I think they complement each other well because they go into such extreme depths of vulnerability and intensity that 
we don't see in a lot of other genres, but I think both sides exist so perfectly to complement the other. Romance itself is so horrific and like all-consuming and tragic that it's so easy to pair it with horror because of that reason. And I think a lot of horror romance can go wrong because like horror comedies, they never go too deep into either genre. It feels like they're straddling the line. We always talk about this. It feels like they're trying to dip a little bit into each side, but they never fully commit. So they always kind of fall flat for me or they are horror movies with a romantic plot line, like subplot. It's not the main focus. And I love when a horror romance utilizes the horror as part of the romance. That's the big part of it. Like you said, how it's so similar with horror comedy, I think that since you can't make a good horror comedy that's like 50% horror, 50% comedy, it really has to be like a balls-to-the-wall ass movie. It needs to be 100% into your horror and 100% into your comedy to make it effective. And it's the same thing with horror romance. You can't, like you said, you really can't like straddle it and try to gently do a little bit of horror and a little bit of romance. It's going to come out really weak, half-baked feeling. Especially, like you said, there's a lot of horror movies that have like a romantic subplot in them, but it's really not what makes a good horror romance. And I think trying to explain horror romance as a like subgenre to people is that's where people get caught up in it because they're like, what do you mean it's like a horror and it has a love story? Because that's frankly that's every single teen slasher where there's a boyfriend and a girlfriend in it or you know any movie with vampires kind of there's usually some kind of a situation there the plot needs to be focused on the romance the same way that it is focused on using the horror otherwise it's not a horror romance it's like vice versa because like it was so hard finding examples because when i was looking up horror romance like as a genre it was showing me movies that I wouldn't consider either or that I would consider one over the other like it was showing me like Twilight which like you said because it has vampires it's considered horror but like it is mainly a teen romantic drama it's solely focused on the romance and not at all the horror I think it would have been a sick movie had they leaned into the horror of Twilight more but I understand that's not what they were trying to make but it was showing me things like The Strangers which is not at all a horror romance it's a horror movie that happens to have a couple as the protagonists um and then that horrible Bella Thorne movie You Get Me was one of the examples and I was oh like oh my god I was like that is I like a thriller that fucking movie <laughs> same same it's so bad though you're right horrible and not at all a horror romance by the way we love bad Bella Thorne movies in this house like we said it's not a horror romance just because it happens to have like a vampire in it the same goes the other way it's not a horror romance just because there's like a crazy girl going after a guy a mother's nightmare is not a horror romance it's just a horror movie um i had another better example than a mother's nightmare but i just probably should come out on the pod right now and say that that movie is like almost in my top four on letterboxd that is like one of the greatest movies I've ever watched in my entire life. Or you will take any opportunity to bring up A Mother's Nightmare. And I really appreciate that about you. I need to watch this movie. I love Jessica Lowndes. And I just, I need to see what, what all of this is about. I have A Mother's Nightmare on Blu-ray. So the next time we hang out, I'll whip it out. Please, I would love that, actually. By the way, speaking of trying to find examples for this, 
Did you know that spontaneous is considered a horror romance? That's really interesting because it that makes sense, I guess, to an extent. But I always, I'm, for the listeners at home, obsessed with the movie Spontaneous. I have, like, written essays on it. I think it is genuinely one of the most, like, heartbreaking coming-of-age movies of all time. I always kind of took the exploding part, even though there's, like, a lot of gore in that movie. It's a bloody, like, gross movie. For some reason, my brain just doesn't register it as horror. And maybe that's just because, like, I'm so desensitized to, like, horror that when I see really intense, like, gore in, like, action movies and stuff, I just don't even think about it. But, yeah, I guess that technically would be because like it is like a looming threat. I still have not huh. seen it but while I was looking up examples for it this was on like most lists so I was like damn okay horror romance. I'm not entirely sure when the creation of the horror romance as a subgenre in movies was invented because it's really hard to find any information on horror romance specifically when it comes to movies. But for books referred to as the gothic novel, the creation of horror romance is accredited to Horace Walpole, who published The Castle of Ortonto in 1764. But Anne Radcliffe's A Sicilian Romance in 1790 is when the gothic romance started becoming its own subgenre. Originally, I guess, the horror romance or the gothic novel was a very specific type of thing, but because of Anne Radcliffe, she popularized female leads and they tend to dominate the subgenre because most of the time it is a female lead in peril and either her lover is one of the monsters or supernatural beings in these worlds or they're fighting against that threat. And I really love that. I love that female leads are so prevalent in the horror romance subgenre, I think it makes a lot of sense. Most of us weird bitches are very into the horror romance. I feel like we all heard that story that Mary Shelley, the writer of Frankenstein, lost her virginity on her mother's grave and carried around a calcified organ of her dead lover. A lot of people believe it was the heart, but that's just a rumor because of how his body was. Um, it was just an unidentifiable organ that she carried and it was wrapped in his poetry. I remember hearing that when I was younger and being like that or nothing. A lot of earlier monster movies like the beginning ones are considered horror romance because of how much of the subplot relies on love, specifically the monster learning to love or accepting love. So movies like Bride of Frankenstein, The Mummy, Phantom of the Opera is a big one, Creature from the Black Lagoon, those are all technically considered horror romance. I feel like most horror romances have like the most gorgeous and lush worlds around them. Like they have, and I feel like what makes a good horror romance is good production design and good costuming. Cause like we mentioned before, Crimson Peak. Oh my God, so stunning. Like other ones that come to mind are like Sleepy Hollow, Bram Stoker's Dracula, and Phantom of the Opera, the 2004 version specifically. I know that's not fully considered a horror romance because it, it doesn't fully lean into the horror as much as like the original Phantom of the Opera, but like I still consider it a horror romance. I would also especially consider The Love Witch, one of the most aesthetically beautiful movies. Not in terms of a lot of like wardrobe necessarily, but another one that I like am just so visually blown away by all the time is Horns because they shot it in BC, Canada during rainy season. So 
Ever, the trees are like neon green and they're like right on the water. So pretty to look at. So like gloomy, but so, so pretty to look at. It looks like it smells so good. That movie looks like it smells so good. No, I'm pretty sure when we watched it, I was like, I just want to stand there and like take a, like a deep breath. Like it looks like I could just like, I think the environment of a horror romance is one of the most important parts of it. Cause I cannot be sold on a horror romance if we're in like the real world, like the regular worlds. Um, but I want like big, lush, beautiful castles and like long flowing dresses and like so much passion. I want to be able to feel the passion in the scenery. I want to be able to feel the passion in the rooms. I want to be able to feel the passion in the costuming, like in the lighting, in every single part of it. That is a big part of the horror romance. You need passion. One of the major differences to me personally between a horror romance and like a rom-com with a romantic comedy like you kind of want to be able to like insert yourself into the story a little bit or have it like be an experience that you're having or you're like really relating to the characters in a way where you're like this is this is my friends versus with a horror romance like i don't really find it necessary to feel like i can relate to the characters in any way the themes themselves are often something that i can like apply in some way to my own life and like as the audience we can but where I want to be inserted into the story with a rom-com, with like a horror romance, it's more like transportative. I don't need it to be something I can insert myself into. I want it to like scoop me up and take me somewhere very far away with the story. Exactly. I, no, and you're so right. I don't want it to feel like it's part of my life. I want to feel like I am watching someone else's life. Like a rom-com, that feels very like, like you said, insertable. You can relate to them. I want the horror romance to be something completely different. I want it to be so filled with passion, so all-consuming, so gut-wrenching. I just want it to feel like it's vacuuming my soul out of my body while I watch it. You know what horror romance does that? What? It chapter two. You just knocked the wind out of me. And it does, <laughs> and it does. And it does. Everyone go stream my end of beginning edit for Richie and Eddie. I wish like everybody could see the visual I have right now, which is just Verona like defeatedly sliding down out of their chair. You know how I feel. Why would you say that? It is such a sensitive topic. You guys don't understand. Once we get to the It Chapter 2 episode, I'm going to lose my mind. He's stretching here with my next example because these are not traditionally thought of as horror romances, but they are to me. The Adams Family, Morticia and Gomez, are one of the most romantic couples of all time, if not the most romantic couple. That, like, no matter what genre you put these movies under, they're a horror romance to me. Um, and they're a horror romance for the ages, genuinely. Of course, I wish we got more horror with it, but you cannot look me in my face and tell me that those bitches aren't like the peak of horror romance. Like, again, every weird bitch's goal and dream is a relationship like Morticia and Gomez. I, I do love the like absolute devotion in a horror romance that's usually there. It isn't necessarily always like a somewhat unbalanced hardcore obsession, but it often is. Uh, a couple, I guess, of like the examples that come to mind for me for that are Tim Burton's Sweeney Todd, which is funny because the original Sweeney Todd was like a little bit more comedy based. Tim Burton's version played it a lot more straight and made it much more like a straight 
horror romance. I loved that movie. I, as like a side note, I really hate how many of my like favorite horror romances growing up were Johnny Depp movies because they've just been like a little bit ruined for me now. Like Sleepy Hollow, yeah. Sleepy Hollow, Edward Scissorhands, Corpse Bride, Sweeney Todd. It's just kind of now been like a little bit ruined for me. I had one more. Oh, and of course, like Horns is another example of it having that like little injection of comedy, but still being about devotion. Same with Jennifer's Body. There are so many, I mean, I could just be listing examples for days about horror romances with heavy, obsessive devotion in them. As a personal choice, I sometimes like when the devoted obsession is the cause of the downfall as opposed to an outside external force. That's a personal preference. Um, I think that that's a gay thing also. For, for me at least, like that's why I find that such a compelling theme. I think because it's just so common to have had that like, obsessive devotion and then it caused like a downfall in some way maybe not a literal death but like a death of a friendship or of a relationship especially at a younger age is very common theme for a lot of millennial and gen z queer people so personally that theme will always like hit me right in the heart no same it's so good it's so good and that is a big reason why we love the movie spiral not to bring it back to spiral, <laughs> but like to bring it back to spiral. Yeah, that is kind of the central theme of the movie. Even if they didn't mean for it to be, it is. William's devotion to Zeke is ultimately his downfall. Him getting so excited to bring him into his world and knowing that he will say yes to it and be a part of it. He jumps the gun and then he ends up losing everything because of it. I think a lot of the Saw ships have that whole, um, like, the eroticism of the chase, the twisted devotion, and the two sides of the same coin kind of vibe, very Batman and Joker, where it's, like, obsessed with one another, maybe for different reasons, and having, like, just morally different standings, but being very much the same. Like you said, when the obsession with their person is ultimately their downfall... It's so good, whether that means that they drive themselves literally insane or because they are like so consumed by them that they just let ultimately end up letting that be their demise. Oh, my God. I can't speak for you, but I can speak for me. I think it's the BPD that makes me love that type of shit, like the all consuming, <laughs> all or nothing shit. Like, oh, my God. Like the stakes need to be life or death, which is why I love a horror romance. One of the examples that came up a lot when I was looking into horror romance and kind of, I was also like looking a little bit for accidental horror romances. And one example that pops up often is, um, is Underworld from 2003. Underworld is a action heavy franchise in terms of horror. So I think people tend to think of it more as a like action horror than a horror romance, which is fair. A lot of Underworld fans can sort of attribute the death of the character of Michael to like the fall of the franchise in general. That being said, if you look more into why that is, it's not necessarily just because of like a fan favorite situation. It's also because the love story in Underworld became so pertinent to the story they were telling and it became such an integral part that the franchise wasn't able to maintain itself after 
which is, again, why it failed. Largely understood among fans as why it failed. Did you see Underworld? Oh, my dad is obsessed with those movies, though. I need to watch those eventually because my dad has always been obsessed with them and has always talked to me about them and is very into them. That and Van Helsing is another one. I've seen Van Helsing. I'm not entirely sure if I would consider it a horror romance or more of a horror with a romantic subplot because that's kind of what it falls into more for me, but it was included on a lot of lists. So I'll let it slide, maybe, mayhaps, because it is such a gorgeous movie. But I remember watching Van Helsing and <laughs> being like, oh, okay, the movie's almost over. And then looking at the timestamp and still having like an hour left. Just a side note. When you're six hours into a movie and you check the timestamp and you still have three hours to go, yeah. Literally, it was very that. And I was like, oh, what more can go on here? However, there is that one shot that is frequently used when talking about Van Helsing that I think about constantly when they're in the ballroom and they're dancing and then he dips her and then it's like the camera moves to the mirror and he's not there, but you see her like being dipped. Oh my God, stunning. For that shot alone, I will allow it in the horror romance category. I know that I did just say, just because the movie has a vampire in it doesn't make it a horror romance. I feel like that's a little more true of more recent movies, but it is true that like the original use of the vampire in a lot of horror was as like a symbol of the sexuality that the generally female lead was repressing and kind of the whole like being taken by the monster was sort of freedom of sexuality as a theme. I think we've slowly moved away from that a little bit. I do think it's really interesting though, just cause you had brought up Twilight earlier. Again, I don't consider Twilight a horror romance, but in terms of vampires not being used very commonly anymore as a symbol specifically for repressed sexuality, it is funny that it really very much is in Twilight, especially with Stephanie Meyer's aggressive Mormon themes in her writing. Very funny. Oh, and you're right. And I think we really need to return to that. Not saying that we need to return to a time where sexuality, specifically female sexuality, is repressed. But when it comes to movies and stories, I miss so much of movies having so much subtext. I feel like now we are in such an age where everyone needs everything spoon-fed to them or else it completely goes over their head and they miss the point. And if you try to talk about the themes or the subtext, it's met with a lot of backlash because people don't want to think deeper into whatever they're watching. It's kind of that argument of like, well, the curtains were just blue sometimes. And it's like, no. I think it is so important to know what the original tropes and themes kind of meant and what they were for a couple of reasons. I don't necessarily think that if you're trying to write a really cool werewolf movie and then you're like, but I don't mean lycanthropy as a like metaphor for gayness in my story. I'm just, that's not the theme I'm going with. And I'm like, that's totally fine. It doesn't have to be just because that's kind of how it started forever ago. You can do whatever you want. However, you have to understand that these themes are so, because of how they started and how deeply that's like ingrained in media and storytelling and how we tell stories, you're gonna have a bad time if you're gonna get upset that people are gonna watch your werewolf movie and be like, this is gay, right? Was this supposed to be as gay as it came out? And it's like, you don't, you didn't have to try to do that. And you don't have to say, okay, fine, it's gay. Like it can still be not that, but that's how it's gonna kind of read to people and how it's gonna sit with them 
And that goes for literally any trope or common metaphor that was established in a certain way. It's not that people are hardwired randomly to see werewolf and think gay. Even the most like conservative homophobic people, just because of how media is, are going to end up watching your straight werewolf movie and they're going to be like, I don't know if I like this for some reason. <laughs> and it's going to be because of how it's been ingrained in us for years and years and years. And you're right. And like, I hate that no matter how much you try to tell someone these things or how often you try to use these themes still, people will still try and deny that. Or be like, not everything is gay. And it's like, well, when you historically look at what horror was and what it was used for, a lot of it was gay. A lot of it was trans. A lot of it was for repressed people who couldn't come out. Horror's always been a counterculture to begin with. It's always been a counterculture. But additionally, like, there's no time in history when horror was apolitical, ever. It doesn't always necessarily lean towards politics that maybe someone like me would agree with. You can think of, you know, the era of teen slashers with the idea of like women should get murdered for being sexually promiscuous. That's like in every every slasher from like the early 2000s. It's like, come watch like a dumb whore get killed in this movie. Like that's still political. The House of Wax episode we talked about, the see Paris die. That was the biggest marketing. So that is an example of time in horror where it's reflecting the politics of the world around it. Not necessarily good politics, it's terrible that it was reflecting the misogyny of the world and how so many people, namely in that era, like a lot of young men felt the need to like find an outlet for this like very obviously gendered anger and like violence that they were bottling up. And then that's what came from the genre at the time. It's, there's never been a time where horror has been apolitical. And there never like, will be. Frankly, there's almost, like, there's pretty much no media at all that's apolitical. Like, truly. It's, it's, you can't separate art from the world around it at all, ever. Even people who are like, I don't want my art to have to be political. Why does everything have to be political? I'm just going to make what I want. I'm like, you're making a political statement now with your art by doing that. By trying to be apolitical, you're making a political statement. There's no escape from the world around you in the creation of literally anything. Exactly. We are so hot and correct all the time. It's crazy. It's so hard bearing this burden. I think we need to go back to using a lot of subtext for horror movies. Vampire media in general got so burnt out and like oversaturated because obviously everyone was banking on the success of Twilight and they wanted to make the next Twilight and just nothing was hitting that mark. And I feel like that made so much of vampire media like unsexy when vampires historically are very sexy. Like that's the whole point. Like I think a lot about like the Vampire Diaries, which I just watched like in full for the first time two years ago. I used to be obsessed with that show when I was younger, but I never finished it. And then I finally did and I was like, oh, okay. And I'm like, how do you make this so unsexy? And I think a big part of it is making it straight. I feel like things like vampires are gay. Lady Dimitrescu, please call me back. But like we talked about, things that are like so passionate, so all-consuming, just so devoted gay. I want straight women to have beautiful media to like get really into and excited. I just think that like you really can't separate 
I obviously I'm like, yeah, equality. Like I want there to be gay romances and I want there to be like, like I want all of those to be available to people. That being said, you really can't just take the same themes and put them vice versa. They don't mean the same thing. I love you so much that it consumes me with like a fire and I'm obsessed with you and it makes me hate you. And this is again, not to say that you can't have abuse in a same gender couple because fucking of course you can. But when you try and take that theme of like trying to bottle and repress something that socially isn't considered very acceptable, very different vibe. The same themes don't work for everything. And that's really what it is. Before Sunset, Before Sunrise, that whole trilogy, that is a different trope. Like that's just a couple working through a relationship and working through what it means to be in a relationship versus being in love. That's fucking incredible. That's one of the best straight romances of all time. It's beautiful. I'm gonna be completely honest with you. That would kind of probably bore me a little bit if I saw it of a lesbian couple because I'm like, that's every lesbian couple I know in real life. Not to keep going back to Twilight, but that's kind of like the best example that we have here. Um, when you put those themes onto them, especially coming from like a Mormon woman, I'm like, oh, this is just an abusive relationship. Like when you look at it, like genuinely examine Twilight, you're like, this is abuse. This is fully abuse, like the whole thing. And then when you look even further and you add in like 50 shades of gray, which is based on Twilight, to say that. you're really like, oh. It's interesting because 50 shades of gray, people kind of are like, well, it's not like a one-to-one -one comparison to Twilight, but it kind of is because when you take something like Twilight and then you're like, let me just take the mythical aspect of that out to make fanfic, what you're left with is an abusive relationship with no fun, like outer world, like, but he's kind of doing it because there's maybe like a vampire Vatican. If you take that aspect out of it, you're like, oh, what we're left with is just straight up abuse. Your only option at that point is to be like, but what if I make it like a sex thing that they're doing this for? And that's how you end up with something like Fifty Shades of Grey. It's like, yeah, he like tells her what to wear and like what to eat and like where she's allowed to go and he like tracks her every movement. But also like she comes when he does that. So like, it's fine. But again, like you said, when you remove all supernatural aspect of it, you're just left with like a very boring, very toxic, very abusive relationship that I could find in like any high school right now. Can we talk about horns for a second? Absolutely we can. We can always talk about horns. Segwaying off of if you take the supernatural out of Twilight, it's abuse. If you take the supernatural out of horns, it makes total sense and it's just as romantic and it's the exact same story. It's just like a little bit. He might have to like rough a few guys up instead of just like looking at them with his devil horns and getting the answers he wants. But at the same time, it's pretty much the same story if you take the supernatural out of it. We need to do a horns episode. I know we have one planned for next season, but we need to do one. Sarah is an expert on horns. Sarah's horns is my it chapter two. Yeah. But we also go in entirely different directions because of our personalities and the way that we are. Whenever I am like this about something, I avoid it completely. Whereas whenever you are like this about something, you dive into it so heavy. I cry every single time I watch Horns, every single time. And I've watched it like a trillion times. I watch it whenever I am sad. I'm. This is like, oh my God, let's get deep on the pod for a second. I'm really bad at crying. I'm not a crier. I don't cry. Um, so when I do cry, I like get like terrible migraines because it's been like building up for like a year. I don't like not cry in a I'm so numb. I don't feel the need to cry way. I like bottle that shit up. Like I feel it coming and I'm like forcing myself to yawn and I just, I never cry. So if I'm like having a really, really God awful time, I will watch Horns. I will put it on. I will let myself cry. That's the only way it works. 
It's perfect. Amount of times I have seen like a 4 a.m. log of horns on Letterboxd <laughs> is crazy. And I have to text her and be like, what are you doing? Be kinder to yourself, queen. Also very crazy that the Pisces moon is saying that they're not a crier. Like, can we all just like think on that for a moment? <laughs> Meanwhile, the bitch that has like no water in her chart is constantly tearing up just because her best friend says that she like loves her. That's me, by the way, in case none of you knew. I can't get into like a therapy session right now, but I don't like, I feel very like ashamed Let's. when I cry. Like I like, I'm like, I, I feel very like ashamed and embarrassed when I cry. So I never cry. Even if I'm alone, I'm like, no, that's so humiliating. I'm not going to do it. I don't cry like at funerals. I don't cry at weddings. I want to cry at weddings and I want to cry at funerals. Like I feel it like building in my sinuses and I like force myself not to every time I need to cry. Maybe there's like something in my childhood I need to unpack there. No, same. we get into that another time. Anyways, one movie that I really need to watch and I know I need to watch but I'm so scared of what it will do to my psyche when I inevitably do watch it is Bram Stoker's Dracula like <gasps> yeah that reaction is exactly why I'm afraid of watching it because I know it's going to be detrimental to my brain and I was going to watch it last night but it was like midnight and I was like let's not but like everything I've seen of it so stunning I've read quotes from it and I'm like oh my god okay I need to watch this but I'm scared it is either going to it's going to go one of two ways it's either going to consume me entirely and I'm going to think about nothing but that movie for the rest of my life and it's gonna be like immediate top four or it's gonna go the way of crimson peak and i'm gonna be like oh my god this was so stunning but something is wasted here and i just can't fully get into it so i'm scared either way so i just i'm doing the safe thing and just not watching it at all i don't know if it's gonna be something you devote your entire self to but i can say people actually come in it so it probably won't go the direction of crimson peak. guys what happened to sex and horror movies what happened to sex and vampire movies specifically we are underutilizing that here we're just like straight up like haze code repressed like let's yeah. make movies sexy again i'm not saying i want to see like hole on screen but like i would like a little something that's what i mean when i say that they made vampire media like so unsexy and i kind of blame twilight for that have like some boobs coming out of a corset undressing scene a at the bare minimum like heaving right heaving i want like neck kissing i want where they're kissing on the mouths but it's like they're kind of eating each other like that type of passion mm -hmm. again i don't need to see penetration but i would like to see some sort of passion great horror romance like a really sexy but very dark very twisted horror romance Candyman. the og is definitely like leaning way more hardcore on the sexiness it's very like it's very overt i won't say yes too much about them because i would love to watch those with you i also love the remake but the original is just so romantic and like heavy i guess you could kind of also in a way consider pearl a horror romance but it's more focused on her obsession with romance than like an actual romance plot which is just really interesting. Yeah. Like, I don't technically consider it a horror romance, but it's definitely a very romantic horror. I see what you mean. One that came up a lot that I guess is a horror romance that, like, I didn't even think of, Bride of Chucky. Oh! Like, yeah, it's a horror romance. I don't know why I didn't think of it. We do see their relationship, but I don't think I ever fully count it because of how Chucky treats Tiffany. I do consider it, I consider Bride of Chucky a, a hardcore horror romance. Of course, there's the way that 
Chucky treats Tiffany, but for a chunk of their relationship, he is reciprocating in certain ways. But her devotion and like her obsession is super intense and it is also her downfall. And that is why they ended up making Chucky and Tiffany lesbians because they knew, they knew what they had there. They knew what the fuck they were about. Another one that we briefly mentioned, The Love Witch. We keep talking about it, but like her entire downfall is the fact that she wants to be loved so badly and it literally drives her insane and it drives her to kill these men who don't love her in the way that she wants to be loved, even when she does do magic on them to make them love her. Very different type of horror romance where it's not so much about the lead and the man of her choosing or the person of her choosing. It's more about the lead's obsession with love in general. And the deaths in it are so, like it, it's very like Harlequin romance. First of all, also one of the most aesthetically beautiful films of all time. Anna Biller unfortunately just makes bangers. Not gonna speak on her as a person, but The Love Witch is just such a, perfect film. So many people, almost including myself, because there was a moment in the first couple of minutes of it too, a lot of people are like, I cannot believe this was not made in the 60s. The costuming, the makeup, the sets, um, everything is so intricate and like the music and the filming style, like you really can't tell. There are like a couple of little things that were left into the film, like certain cars and stuff and like different things going on where it's really supposed to remind you that like, a lot of people said like, oh, it's because she couldn't block that out or oh, she couldn't like help, but that had to be there and it like was taking away from the aesthetic and I bet if she could do it over she would do it differently and I'm like I don't think so I think that those more modern touches were left in the love witch specifically so that she it was like she was bragging it was like to remind it was like she was going by the way I literally just made this movie I know you keep thinking it's the 60s but just a reminder this is a modern movie and I'm so good at my job and I'm like so true no exactly exactly my last one is one that isn't out yet but one that I'm very excited about your Monster, starring Melissa Barrera. It just premiered at Sundance, I think like a few days ago, like less than a week at this point. All I've heard is incredible things about it. Not only is it a horror romance, I'm pretty sure it also has like elements of comedy in it. And it's has musical numbers, which I think more movies should have musical numbers. I know that that is a controversial statement, but I think when done right, incredible so i am so excited for this movie and i will follow melissa barrera to the ends of the earth it's just fun i love seeing like original horror even if it is meant to be like callbacks to original monster stories i love seeing original horror you mentioned bram stoker's dracula earlier i have one last vampire one i know we moved on from vampires but i kind of forgot um i'm a huge park chan walk fan huge fan and his vampire film thirst from 2009 is one of the only films that i've seen that i would consider like on par with Bram Stoker's Dracula in like the same categories. I think I have other favorite vampire movies, but like in terms of just that like classic fighting repression, restrained sexiness, but not derogatory. <laughs> Not in a Crimson Peak way, in a Bram Stoker's Dracula way. It is like a near perfect film, in my opinion. I'm gonna add that to my list. I recommend that everybody who is interested in like sexy romantic vampire horror to watch Thirst. It has Song Kang Ho, who is like, in my opinion, one of the most attractive men alive. It is a Korean horror. If you have been trying to watch a little bit more international films, but like you have more specific taste, I prefer horror movies, obviously. I watch a lot of movies, but I love horror movies. This is like a 
a perfect stepping stone to get into more international horror. It's super accessible. It's a beautiful fucking movie. If you watch it and you like it, watch everything else Park Chan Wook's ever done, please. Start with The Handmaiden. Love The Handmaiden. Not a horror romance, but oh my god, incredible movie. That was on a lot of the lists that I was looking at too, so I need to watch that one. I don't know how well-versed any of you are in the world of fanfic. I firmly believe fanfic does more good than harm. I think it is a great way for people to have a creative outlet. I think it is a great way to see people's talents based on characters that they already know and love and characters that we already know and love. And there is this one fic that our good friend Bewey, you all know Bewey, sent me like a year and a half ago now. And it is based on Stranger Things Steve and Eddie, and it is genuinely one of the most well-written things I have ever read. It is called Your Divine, and it is Vampire Study. Eddie is a vampire coming back from the Upside Down, and when I tell you it is genuinely the best written romance I have ever read, I am not lying to you, and I need all of you to go read it, especially if you're into horror romance like we are and you're into any of the stuff that we have been talking about. I cannot recommend this enough. It is such a long fic too. Like it feels like a novel. There's multiple parts to it if you want like little extra things to read. Just incredible. I can't recommend it enough. Go read Your Divine by Onion Chiver on Archive of Our Own and on the topic. Our lovely host, Sarah, is genuinely one of the best writers that I have ever read from. Fun fact for anyone listening who does not know, Sarah and I knew each other before we actually knew each other. Or rather, I knew Sarah before we knew each other. Back when I was in high school, I was very into fanfic and I was reading this one for Victorious, Cat and Jade, and because I was obsessed with them and like they were kind of how I realized I was gay when I was younger. I remember reading this fic and just being so obsessed with it. And it was around the time that I had to apply for colleges and I didn't know what I wanted my major to be. I like knew I wanted to do something with like writing or film or just something, but I really didn't want to go to college. And like at the time there's just like a lot of bad happening and I was reading this and in it Jade is a screenwriter and I was like I could do that so Sarah inadvertently made me who I am today and we did not know each other at the time I did not know that she wrote this I didn't know who she was and then years later we became friends and then we started talking somehow about this and then I was like oh my god there's this fic that I loved it was this and she was like oh my god I wrote that it was just a crazy moment very full circle so a few years ago Sarah wrote this incredible fic based on Jennifer's body and Dynasty called Traits That Worry Me from New Perspective by Panic at the Disco off the Jennifer's Body soundtrack it is genuinely so incredible and like another great example of a written horror romance and if you know the story of jennifer's body if you know dynasty like you're already half into it so just read it it's so good also this isn't horror romance but sarah is so good at like blending 
two different interests of hers into a fic. I'm blushing, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> and segueing from that perfectly, we're gonna talk about the movies that we're doing this month. Insanely glowing review, by the way. Thank you. I was just sitting here blushing the whole time. Verona was just watching my face get like redder and redder as I was sitting here. We are going to spend the next three weeks talking about three of our personal favorite horror romances between the two of us. And this is something we've kind of just considered could be a possibility for the next season as well is to do February as our horror romance month very fitting with Valentine's Day being a very romantic month um but this month the three that we are going to start off with so we will be finishing off the month with Jennifer's Body which is one of the most beautiful sapphic horror romances of all time we are very excited to get to that one we have been saving this episode all season long because we knew that we had to do it right we both love Jennifer's Body so much and it has such a special place for both of us it tackles themes of repression like homosexual repression and obsession and compet and that very widely relatable feeling of being a younger queer person and not knowing how to react to your own feelings and sometimes taking it out in anger when what you're feeling is love, but you're taking it out in anger because there's no other way to release all of that bottled up feeling in a way that's acceptable. I, I'm gonna get emotional if I start talking about it too much before we even get to the episode. I'm gonna be a wreck when we do the episode, but it is like, it's such a special movie, especially to a lot of sapphic people. But before that, we will be covering Warm Bodies in the second last week of the month. Warm Bodies is one of my favorites. I was a huge fan of the film and I watched it a couple of times before going back and reading the book. Something that's really special about Warm Bodies is it is one of several cultural markers of the shift in a trope for horror. We talked a lot about how like you really can't escape what those original tropes are because they get so deeply ingrained into the media that regardless of what you're trying to do, it'll kind of always come back to what it was originally. The zombie subgenre is kind of one of the only subgenres that I think has successfully managed to create a new trope with its base material. Zombie movies kind of originally represented politically a state of like anti-consumerism and like the angst of working class and like low, back when there used to be a middle class, the lower middle class. Obviously there's no middle class anymore. And they still do. A lot of zombie movies are still being made that do that. I think of like a lot of like Romero films, but there was kind of this shift when zombies became a romantic possibility, a little bit post-Twilight craze. I remember one of my favorite book series in the post-Twilight craze was called Generation Dead. It was the most beautiful like YA lit romantic horror that I think I'd ever read. I think it's really interesting that when you take zombie horror, it's usually, like I said, it's kind of supposed to have a bit of an anti-consumerism message. But when you add romance into your zombie media, it immediately takes on this push back against ableism. I just think that's really incredible that as soon as you add empathy for the monster, the monster changes into something good as opposed to a sign of something incorrect in the world. It immediately becomes a sign of like the victim of any sort of like social situation, which is incredible in my opinion. And for our first movie, which we are doing next week, we're gonna do Bones and All, which is a new favorite for both of us. I've only seen it the one time when we watched it, but holy fuck, I still think about it constantly. This entire episode, we've been talking about how much we love an all-consuming romance and how much more all-consuming can you get than a cannibal romance. And I've always loved 
cannibalism as a metaphor for romance and for love, but it is very hard to find it done correctly or done at all. And I think Bones and All just really hit the nail on the head. And I think you had one more horror wreck. I can't recommend Hannibal enough, the series. It is hardcore. It's sometimes a little dry. It's a little procedural sometimes. But holy shit, if you want all-consuming obsession, you gotta watch Hannibal. Like I said, with how as soon as you kind of slightly change if you are seeing the monster or the act as something to empathize with, totally changes the meaning. Because cannibalism in horror romance can very much mean two things. And for the majority of the time, we see it how you've said it, which is like the way that the best way to do it, in my opinion, which is that it represents that all-consuming love. Like, I need you so much that I need to like have you forever inside of me, which is just that intensity. The other option that you see in a lot of cannibal media, I mean, of course, there's also just like straight, the like xenophobic, hardcore xenophobic horror that involves cannibalism. You know, like, oh, I stumbled upon an island and these like people are so uncivilized and they eat people, which is crazy. Like, okay, we're that aside. The other side of the like refined cannibalism in horror being stuff like Hannibal. Uh, Fresh is another example. Classism and like class disparity and like how there's such a distance between, like I guess viewing cannibalism as a luxury versus viewing it as a necessity in love. So you get such different sides of the coin because so much of that cannibalism media that is again, not like barring the xenophobic media is about these rich people are so, they're so desensitized to all of their luxuries that this is what they've become versus of course, they're so obsessed and in love that this is what they've become. And it's just two sides of like very different ideas of how to display it. And I just think they're both incredible. Hannibal is also a horror romance cannibal story, but it is the other end. It's not like Bones and All where the cannibalism is a metaphor for how all-consuming the love is. The metaphor being used in Hannibal is very much more of a class difference, but there's still horror romance there, which is just very cool that such different pieces exist. If you can't tell, we're very excited to get into this month and especially next week. Was Bones and All what sold you on Timothy Chalamet? I think yeah. I think that's when I started being like, all right, Papa's Orchard and all that. Bones and All is when I was like, all right, you're kind of a weird little dude. I'll allow it. Before I close this out here, isn't it so funny how many men like your eyes are open to when they're not being shoved down your throat as like, they're so sexy. Like maybe, I don't know if that's like a lesbian experience. It feels like it is. But every time someone tries to sell me on a man all the time, they're like, he's so hot. Like you have to watch him in this. Like, oh my God, look at this edit. Like this slow-mo, like thirst edit. I'm like, what fucking ever? Let me approach the man on my own terms and find my own reason to give a fuck about him. And I will like him way more. That's me with Jacob Elordi, by the way. I've decided he's just Zachary Quinto stretched out. And I'm like, oh, I love him. I see what everyone was talking about now. Like when these so-called heartthrobs are shown to me as silly little goofy men, I'm like, oh my God, I like you so much more. Like when you're fun and you have a personality, I want to watch you and get to know you. But if you're being targeted or like promoted to me as like a hot, sexy thing, I have no desire, no interest. I'm like, get that away from me and keep it away. 10 feet, please and thank you. So bones and all next week, discussing cannibalism as an allegory for all-consuming love. Very exciting stuff. We've been waiting a very long time to do this episode. This month was kind of one of the first ideas that we had ever planned way back in like November 
of 2022. So really exciting. I'm excited to be finally kind of getting to it and getting to talk about horror romance. So we will see you next week for Bones and All. In the meantime, you can check out our link tree, which is WYFSM. That has links to all of our socials as well as everywhere that you can listen to the pod. And we will see you guys next time. Bye. Bye.